What would you consider your greatest successes in your life if you were to sit here right now and think about what your greatest successes in life, what would they be? Well, perhaps if you, if you struggled and battled and worked your way through school and you got that diploma, maybe you look at that diploma and say, wow, uh, yeah, great success. Whether it was high school and, uh, or, or college and you moved on to college and, and worked and, and did that and you got that degree, what a success, what, a, what an accomplishment. You know, and they make a big deal of graduations, don't we? We make a big deal and celebrate the, the, the accomplishment and the success. But maybe you look beyond that and say, well, you know, when I, when I came out and, you know, I landed that first job and, and uh, you know, I started making a little money, you know, and so, you know, maybe that was a success. Or maybe it was a position that you aspired to and you worked hard to get that promotion. Or maybe it was just simply your family, your home, or some other thing that you would count as your success. These are all great successes and certainly not to be minimized in any way. But Paul, here in, the, in his letter to the, to the Philippians, he actually considers all of his successes, all those things that he might consider gain, all those things that he might consider an advantage in any way, he considers them as loss for the knowledge of knowing Christ. But for knowing Christ, he considered everything a loss. Let's read our text tonight. And uh, let's pick it up, actually. Let's read it in verse seven. Uh, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul considered everything a loss. It doesn't mean that those things are losses. It doesn't mean that those things aren't successes. It don't, doesn't mean that those things aren't advantages in your life. It means by comparison to the knowledge of Christ, to having known Christ, to having come into relationship with Christ, it, it, if you were to compare, if you were to put everything on a, on an, on a, on a ledger sheet, if you were to get your accountant and, and, and put it out and, and have him spell it out for you, he says, I count everything a loss over here on this side, but for the, for the profit of knowing Christ, of having come into relationship with Almighty God, because I was far away and I've been brought near to Christ. I've been brought into the family of God. I've been brought into that place where we just sung, where we have a hope that will not disappoint, where we have a hope forever. And so Paul ha had this perspective, that he, that he counted it all, all the successes as trash. Wow, what a, and that's what the, the word rubbish, it's actually, it's a little bit stronger. I mentioned this last week. It's a little bit stronger in the Greek, but he says, I count it as rubbish, that, that, that I may know Christ, that I may know Christ. So the question is truly, have you truly gained Christ? Do you know him tonight? You may be sitting here saying that I have a lot of successes in the profit column, but are they really profits? 
Are there really successes if you don't have Christ? Are they really prophets if you don't have Christ? Because Jesus said this, what would it profit a man if, if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? None of those prophets would mean of anything. None of those prophets that you would put on that ledger side, on that side of the accounting sheet, none of them would mean anything. According to Jesus, he says, what would it profit if you gained the whole world? What, the whole world? Yeah, if every property was yours, every hotel, if it was all a big monopoly game, and you had it all, and boardwalk and park place. Amen? And you were the top hat. Yeah, see, I was always the top hat. You know, when you came to play Monopoly and you had to pay, you know, these kids don't, they don't know anything about Monopoly, but everything, but, but Monopoly, Monopoly was my game. Monopoly was my game. I would sit and play Monopoly for hours. But guess what? If you go, can't gain the whole board, if you gain the whole world and you didn't know Christ, what would it profit you if you lost your soul? Have you truly gained Christ in your life? Do you know Christ? He, the word to know, the word know here in in Philippians, in the, in the New Testament, really, is the word gnosko. He says, um, and be found in him not having my righteousness, or back up. He says, uh, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And, he, and he's, he's talking about knowing Christ. He's talking about gaining the knowledge of Christ. And, and, the, and the word for, for know in the, in the Greek New Testament is the word gnosko. And it means, it means this. It means to know. It means to, to, to gain a knowledge of, to, to actually have an experiential knowledge of something. It's, it's this idea of actually kind of experiencing. It's knowing. It's actually the word that actually uh, is used for intimacy. And it's an intimate knowledge. There's a, there's a Hebrew corollary. In the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, it would be the word yada. Yada, 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 you know, to know, to know, to know. You know, you know, you know. Yeah, you know. Do you know God? Do you know Christ? Gnosko. And so he, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And, and in the economy of salvation, your knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ becomes your great success. So maybe you're here tonight. You say, "Well, I didn't have anything on. on I didn't have anything on that side of the ledger." I, 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 you asked me what my great successes were, and I couldn't think of anything. Well, here you go. Here's one that will never be trumped in your life. That that you know Christ. That you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It becomes your knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ becomes your greatest success. Becomes the focus of your life, so that you may be found in Him, having righteousness. Found in him having a righteousness is it not of, from the law, not of works, not trying to accomplish something in your own will and, and, and whatever. No, you have something that was given to you because you believed and you trusted upon Christ. You came into that intimate knowledge of Christ and God gave you salvation. And, 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 and you've got it. You've got it, Christian. And, uh, and so you, you've got the righteousness that is by faith and it's been given to you by Jesus Christ. And it comes by believing that Jesus is who he said he was and that he died and was raised to life. And this is what we hold on to tightly. No matter what happens and no matter what great successes may come in the future, we hold on to the success, the success of knowing Christ. Amen? Amen. And I thank God 
Thank God every day. If you know Christ, thank God that you that somebody brought you to Christ, that somebody was used by God to, to, to bring you to, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God every day that, that, that I know him. Everything, everything else, in that sense, we hold loosely to, even the great successes. Even the great successes, we hold loosely to those. So we, we have this knowledge of Jesus Christ, and it is our great success. Now, Paul goes on, and he tells us how to know Christ, and he gives us two ways that we can know him. Let's go over to verse 10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. We, we must know the resurrected Lord. We must know him and, and, and in the power of his resurrection. Paul here says that I may know Christ. If you have the NIV, I think I believe it reads, I want to know Christ. It, it actually kind of is the, the, the idea there is to know Christ, I, to, I want to know Christ. In other words, I have a desire to know Christ. I know Christ and I have a continued desire to know him. I, I'm just not satisfied with what I do know. I want to know everything. I want to continue to know everything that he wants to reveal of himself to me. And so Paul, Paul says here that to know the power of his resurrection this is the supreme desire of a devoted follower of Jesus, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Why? Because we want to know, he ends this passage by saying, if, if I be blessed enough to experience the resurrection, right? We, 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 we want to experience the resurrection. And the resurrection of Christ is what guarantees our resurrection. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, guaranteeing our future resurrection to be with him. And so to know him and in the power of his resurrection. That's what is so important in the life of the Christian. And so it should be, it needs to be, Christian, the supreme desire of your life to, to know him and to continue to know him more, to continue to know him more. Here in Philippians, Paul calls the knowledge of Christ the mark of a Christian. And again, remember, this is the knowledge. This is, this is to know him, gnosko, it's that it's that knowledge, it's getting to know, it's that intimate knowledge. And do you have it? And that's the mark of a Christian. Do you know Christ and are you getting to know him more? Are you walking with him, amen? It involves confessing him as Lord. Have you confessed him as Lord? Confessing him as Lord to the exclusion of all other gods or to having no God at all. That's what it means, to confess him as Lord, to make him Lord of your life. And, 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 to, and to make him and put him in that supreme place in your life. So there, there's so much to know about God. He says to know him and the power of his resurrection. There's so much to know about God. I think one of the sad things that I see, uh, certainly amongst Christians, is when I see people give up on knowing more about God. When I see people just getting to that point where they're like, oh, I got, you know, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard all the stories. I got it, you know, Noah and, and Jonah and, and you know, the, the, there was three guys that were thrown in a fire. One guy was in a belly of a whale. And, you know, then Jesus died on the cross and he had 12 guys. Yeah, I know it. I know it. No, no, no. No, no, no. To know him and, and to continue to desire to know him because there's so much to know about him. The power of his resurrection, the power that brought Jesus that raised Jesus from the, from the dead, 
to know him, to know the infinite power of the universe, to know the infinite power beyond the universe, the infinite power that created the universe. There's so much to know. There's more to know. There's more to discover. It's been about 12 to 15 years ago, but there was a time about 12 to 15 years ago where it was stated that man had reached the halfway mark of knowledge. In other words, that it was said this, studies have shown that the halfway point of all human knowledge is located less than 10 years ago, now about 15 years ago. So in other words, everything that was known by man was known up until about 15 years ago, and then it doubled in the last 15 years. So th- this, is, this is knowledge that, that is increasing in the world. And there's a prophecy that goes ar- along these lines in, in uh, Daniel chapter 12, knowledge increasing in the last days. So this is incredible when you think about what's happening even now. Uh, every 60 seconds, 2,000 typewritten pages are added to man's knowledge, and the material produced every 24 hours would take one person five years to read. Think about that. So what, would be, so what was produced yesterday in terms of, of the literary world and the, and the knowledge of man, we're not even talking about the knowledge of God here. Okay? So this whole analogy and what I'm telling you is just to tell you about the knowledge of man. I'm telling you about knowing God. So how in the world... That we, we don't even have the knowledge of man. How could we give up on the, 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 the drive and the desire to know God who's infinite, who spoke the worlds into existence? Man, I, w- I want to know God. I want to know more. There's so much more to know about God. Never give up in your quest to know God. Never give up on your quest to know God. When I study, you know, when you look back at the, at the scientists from the Renaissance era, you know, we live in an age of, of scientific atheism where to be a scientist in the, in the, the world-class sense, you, you would most likely be in the crowd with the atheists, right? But that wasn't so 200, 300, 400 years ago. In fact, those that were pursuing knowledge in the scientific fields were mostly all count them all up, we're Christians, and searching for the deeper knowledge of God and deeper intimate knowledge of the creation. And you can, you can go through, I mean, there's, there's actually books on this written, and you can probably you know, look this up, but it's an incredible, incredible thing. And so when, when I study these things, if I study science, you know, I, I think there's a thing where a Christian might get, you know, you might read a headline that says, you know, that, that, that might allude to some type of scientific discovery that might, you know, be involved. It might be in the case of disproving God or putting faith kind of on the back burner type of thing. Now, every time I investigate it, I come to realize that, no, it's something that's pointing directly to, to, to the fact that there's a creator, directly to the fact. I mean, the, the God particle is a perfect example. Just a few years ago when they, they we found the, the God particle, we actually saw it. That's what they called it. I found it ironic, right? All the people that are confessing that there is no God, but they called this particle the God particle, right? You remember the Higgs boson? 
Some of you are like, no, come on, we don't know anything about the Higgs boson. Yes, if you're, on, if you're current with all this, then you're going, yeah, the God particle, the one that gives mass to everything. Yeah, the one that, you know, is right in line with what, what, what Jesus did when he spoke the worlds into existence, when he framed the world, the power of his word. Yeah, that stuff. I don't shy away from that stuff. You know, logic. You want to study logic, the rules of logic? Man, it all points straight to God. And everything I come across, everything I study, just warms my heart, brings me into a closer, more intimate relationship with the Lord, and especially the scriptures. Amen? So yeah, so looking at the, the book of, there's two books, really. Two, God has two books. There's the book of the, of the revelation of his creation, and then there's the book of revelation. There's the book of creation, the book of revelation. And both of them are ways to, to know the Lord more and more. Amen? There's so much to know about God. When I was a youth pastor in Virginia, I was sitting at a traffic light uh, in the middle of town. This was in Newport News, Virginia. And I was driving there, and I was sitting at, sitting at a light, and uh, I came up to the light, and this there was a woman in the lane next to me, and she had a Mercedes Benz. And I was like, oh, a nice Mercedes. And I looked at the license plate, and it said one goal, one goal. So I, I kind of inched up next to her, and I motioned for her. I'm, I'm, I'm like 23, so I think I'm a hotshot youth pastor. I'm going to reach everybody for Christ, right? So I, I, I motioned for her to roll her window down. She's like, what? She's like, I, I just saw your license plate, and it said one goal. I, I'm just curious. What's your one goal? And, and she said something to me about you know, some, some sales goal to be the top in sales or, or uh, I guess she was a realtor or something like that. And so she, she was talking to me about this lofty goal of, of being the best in sales. And we were at this long light, so she asked me what my, one, what my goal was. And I said to her, I said, uh, my goal is to serve the Lord and to reach people for Christ. <laughs> That's what I told her. We're sitting at the light. And, uh, and so then... The light turned green, and boom, gone. Never saw her again. Six months later, she walked into the church, and she remembered, and she came up to me, and she said, yeah, I, I remember that, and I wanted to stop by and meet you. I guess it, she could never shake it or whatever, but I remember that. She remembered our conversation at that stoplight where I said, I want to know Jesus, I want to serve Jesus, and I want to bring as many people to Christ as I possibly can. Let's have, can we make it a goal can we make it our one goal? To know Christ. Mm -hmm. To know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his re resurrection. To experience the power of his resurrection was also Paul's goal. The power which brought Christ forth from the dead now operates in you, Christian. <laughs> Why? Because you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You've been filled with the Spirit. How do I know that? Because Paul told us in Galatians and Ephesians and other parts, he says he's put, the Father has put the spirit of his Son in you to where you can actually, by his spirit, call out to the Father, Abba, Father. And so the power that raised Jesus from the dead, Christian, is, is operating, is effective in you. And so we, we can know him in the power of his resurrection. The, the Greek word for power in the New Testament is the word dunamis. You've heard, you've heard this. It's actually where we get our word for dynamite or dynamic. And, and the power of the Holy Spirit 
Is it dynamic in your life? Do you know the power of the resurrection? Are you, are you walking in that type of power? That's the type of power that we can walk in as Christians, the type of faith that we rely on, the type of, the type of God that has all power that we call out to. This is, this is who we're walking with. And so even, even if we walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, Christian, it doesn't matter because we've got the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. God's power works in the lives of the believers. The, the gospel of Christ also is the power of God. Right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Right? So, we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, there's another way we can know him, Paul says. Let's go back to Philippians 3 there. He says, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. To know the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So, we're gonna have we're gonna have the knowledge of him, and the you know to know him and the power of his in the power of his resurrection, and also to know him to know the fellowship of his sufferings. If we're gonna know Christ and know him more and more, then we must know the fellowship of his sufferings. The idea of fellowship. What's the idea of fellowship? Fellowship is it is is carries the idea of sharing. When you see the word fellowship in the New Testament. As we think of there's the word koinonia, right? And, it, and it's actually this commonality, and it has to do with sharing in common something. Sharing in common. So when we say that we're a fellowship, we're a fellowship of believers, what's that? That we share a commonality. We share something in common. What is that? That we have a hope in Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. The church is a fellowship of believers, a group of people that have hold one thing in common, that we're believing upon Christ and that we have a hope in this world. But Paul takes it a step further here. He says, not only do we have that in the church, but we know the fellowship of this. We have fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. We share our lives together in Christ and in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, I don't know if this, if this desire is rolling off of our tongues. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. <laughs> I don't know if it is, but we, we can and we will. If we're walking with Christ, we're, we will know him and share in the sufferings of Jesus, the sufferings of the cross, the sufferings of the persecution of knowing him. The sufferings of, of carrying the cross, of being a believer, of, of, of being a person who has faith in Christ, of carrying on the ministry that you have, that, you, that you've been called to. Remember, we talked about a couple weeks ago, you're, you're in the ministry, Christian. You're being built up for the ministry. The, the pastoral gift is to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that you can go out into the ministry that you have. On a day-to-day -day basis, you have a ministry. 
And in that ministry, you will share in the sufferings of Christ. Perhaps it's persecution. Perhaps it's suffering in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Paul, we talked about it last week, had an interesting conversion experience, right? Here he is. He's going to Damascus. He's got papers that were signed that gave him authority to take under custody to arrest any Christians and to, and to basically give them a hard time. To give them a hard time of what happened, of course, we know that story from Acts chapter 9. The Lord blinded him, knocked him to the ground and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Saul was just trembling and astonished and he was blinded. He was taken into Damascus and his sight returned and he was basically called into the ministry. Saved, filled with the Spirit, and called into the ministry. I wonder how our lives would be different if we had a Damascus Road experience. If, if we literally had that experience like Paul, where it was literally like we were doing our thing and we had our life going and boom, a light showed up and literally blinded us for three days. And we, we cried out and we said, what's going on, what's going on? It's me, Jesus. I, I, I want you to know me. How would our lives be different? Would we be consumed with the things we're consumed with? Would we, would we be bothered by the things that we're bothered with? Paul, who was once persecuting Christians and Christ himself, is now telling the Philippian church that his supreme desire is to know Christ. The, the, the very person who, who, who was literally like fired up about going to arrest Christians is now sitting in a Roman jail writing to Christians saying, my supreme desire is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And there he was suffering in jail, in chains, probably a cell where you, you couldn't even stand up straight with rats, running to and fro in the jail. Who knows where the human ref, refuse was going? It wasn't like a janitorial situation. And here he is writing, telling the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord, telling them, encouraging them to know Christ, to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul is saying, I want to share in suffering for Christ. I want to share in suffering for the sake of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, and just even pretend that that's not a hard one. That that's somehow something that, like, you know, let's, we're going to have a sign-up sheet in the back, and um, Chris is going to be there at the back table, and just go see her and sign up. It's the share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ uh, sign-up back there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We wouldn't have too many running, making a beeline to the table to sign up for that. But I tell you what, it changes your life when you've suffered for Christ, when you've had to kind of take one on the chin or two or three or a hundred. Now for some, the sufferings of Christ 
may harden you, may cause the pain of the suffering might turn your heart. And I can, for one, I can see how that happens. I can see how that happens. But I want to stand up here tonight and I want to encourage you to don't to not let the sufferings of the ministry, the sufferings of serving Christ, the sufferings of persecution, maybe in your family or wherever it is on the job, don't let those sufferings harden your heart, but let them bring even a deeper intimacy with Christ, a deeper knowledge, a deeper understanding. Remember when Jesus was arrested and they took him into custody and they were questioning him and they were spitting on him, slapping him in the face. They were pulling his beard, saying, prophesy, who hit you? Who hit you? He went through all that for us and we share in his sufferings. We share in his sufferings and it should hopefully if we don't allow it to turn us the other way, it should hopefully turn us towards a greater intimacy with Christ, holding on to him even more. Don't let go of Christ. Don't let go of Christ for the hanging on to the bitterness of, of having gone through uh, a tough time in the ministry because I, can, I could have easily hung him up. I could have easily hung up the cleats. Said, man, I'm getting off this field. It's brutal out here. You ever see one of those games where the quarterback, the offensive line is absolutely clueless? <laughs> the quarterback, the whole game is just getting pummeled. And you're thinking to yourself, man, this guy is just getting his lights beaten in. But he keeps on going up there to the center who just can't even block the guy at all. It's like, can you block the guy? No. And keep on going out there, embracing Christ. One of, the one of the verses of Scripture, I think, that would kind of tie in here, and we'll uh, bring this to a close here, is a famous one. It's in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. If you're, you're familiar with this one. In fact, you should be able to, Christian, you should be able to recite this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I'll tell you what, that's the verse that they need to, to do a whole semester of Bible college and do a whole study on that before they send anybody out into the ministry. Because if you go out there thinking that you're going to go out there and whatever... It'll be tough out there. But if you know that you've already been crucified with Christ, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So if Christ could give himself up for me, could I give myself up for him? I think one of the things that we try to do in our modern culture 
is we try to fulfill our lives. We try to fulfill it, right? Jesus says, lose your life for my sake, and you'll find it. Lose your life for my sake, and you'll find it. And you'll be fulfilled. You'll be fulfilled. You'll be full of joy. You'll have this joy, unspeakable. You'll, you're in the joy division if you lose your life for him. If you can sit in a jail cell and say, rejoice in the Lord. If you can share in the sufferings of Christ and say, I rejoice in the Lord. It's no longer I who live anyways. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Amen? And that, that's, there's a power to that. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That is literally, I think, the definition of applying the cross to your life. To your life. Amen? Applying the cross to your life. And he says that, that I may attain to the resurrection life. Yeah, you will, Christian, if you hold on to Christ. If you hold on to him and know him more and more. And I want to just close with this. This is my closing remark. Just make it a personal thing. I'm never going to give up. I'm never going to stop pursuing God and knowing him more. And you will be full of joy because you'll have a deeper and deeper intimate relationship with God.